0: Prepare, Prepare yourself, yourself to receive, to receive
1: five, five claps. claps. Five clap hair. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 40 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer.
0: I'm Adam and I do web stuff. I'm Sam and I make art and things. And today is February 23rd. 2060. February. 30, such a thirsty month. And this With is an important so date because it. Adam turned 30 in the it's true. Week. The big old 3 0. So he's no longer mm-hmm. a boy.
1: Now he's a man. I'm a man. <laughs> and uh, before we get started on the podcast,
0: we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show, including lots of swears and gratuitous nudity. Gr- graduity, nudity, is so gratuitous—you gr- 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 could nudity? feel it. You could feel it through the airwaves. Yeah, Man, it's also pretty- going to be super gratifying
1: nudity as well. Yeah, so all, ki- all
0: kinds of G-based adjectives
1: are going to be flying around. Uh, so, if you're a child, uh, you know, if you're a youngster, if you've got issues with adult ideas and expanding your worldview, then you should leave. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get started. Uh we got some we got some news items. We have the quality of life patch for Crashlands has has hit the beta uh pipes 2. Beta pipes. Anyway, we sure. shot it out of a cannon and it just kind of flew in the general direction of our players. Mm-hmm. Uh so whoever gets caught in the crossfire of that, I'm sorry, you will know if you got hit by it if your screen has a giant red message on it when you boot up <laughs> Crashlands. Um, we have more yeah. information in the Crashlands subreddit, so just head on over there. We also have patch notes up at dit.ly uh, slash Crashlands Patch Notes with a capital P. Don't know where the lowercase p one goes, so... So don't go there. there. Is there, is there
2: anything risk. you can tell us about the state of the quality of life patch beta right now
0: um, versus what it's going to become? I guess, yeah, mainly it's, what's not in it. Yet. So it's it's mostly done. There's just a few kind of
1: bigger items that are not in it. The idea behind the quality of life patch is we want to add some features to the game that just make it a little bit nicer to use. Like tornadoes. Yeah, we're going to put there's it's, it's actually just the tornado patch frankly. Mm-hmm. Um I just spent the past 20 days coding tornadoes.
0: It causes so. an actual tornado at your current location.
1: Yeah. Uh but yeah, all, all the info is on the patch notes there, but uh the big thing that's not in yet is the ability to slide and pan the world map with your with your fingers. <laughs> uh, Adams a man, and you need to use your fingers. You got to use your f- Fangers. You do fingers, <laughs> man. Um, so that's, I mean, it seems trivial, but, you know.
0: Wait, are fingers just fingers that have, like, really long nails on them? Yeah, it's- You uh, know? They're like fang-fingers? Yeah. Fangers? No,
2: fingers, I think, have fang-like nails at the ends of them. Or are yeah. they clothes yeah, it's hangers? You, it's when you
1: grow out your nails and you sharpen them, and then you can drink
2: blood.
0: Yeah, with fingers. What if they're clothes hangers that use a real- Frozen with rigor mortis, human finger for the hook mechanism. Also, I mean, it's a nice. That's a fanger. Yeah, yeah that, that's that just
2: another makes. definition of fanger.
0: Yeah, interesting.
1: Um, and otherwise, we're just uh, preparing for GDC. So um, I I do have some bad news. I know last week we kind of talked about that I'm working on my six pack for GDC. Mm-hmm. Um, but how's it coming? Well, here's the thing: uh, mini eggs, Cadbury mini eggs. Oh. Yeah, this has been a problem. Are in their, They exist. They're in the stores. And uh, all of my health and fitness plans have been postponed until after Easter as a result. So, And by after
2: Easter, I mean uh, th- three months after Easter because- You know what the- you could do though, is if you just always have the little mini bags of Cadbury mini eggs and then tape them to your belly as if they compose a six pack, mm. then you get the best of both worlds cuz you can continuously eat away your six pack and just replace it, you know. That's each, a good each plan. pack that you eat off you can then replace and it'll look like you've had a six pack all along. I Plus. think I could I could only really get
1: behind this if I could also kind of attach sort of straw like tubes to the packages, sort of like a camelback uh you know water pouch but where I could just always like be able to just go <whistles> and just, like, suck a mini egg Man, through the you, tube.
0: But you've had, like, boba milk tea before. Yeah, exactly. And you know how disturbing it is to suck a marble-sized object through a straw, especially a hard one in the case mm. of a Cadbury mini egg. I well, I, like- I
1: think it's because it's so unlike the normal texture. So what you need is something that functions more like a paintball hopper, you know, where it just kind of, like, yeah, forces yeah. a perpetual row of mini eggs into your mouth.
0: I like the strategy.
1: Yeah. Um. So that's probably a good compromise between fitness and eating mini eggs mm-hmm. it's, it's, per- it's perpetually eating mini eggs nonstop <laughs> through a, a force feeding tube um so that's our gdc plans
0: mm-hmm. and Feminist. if you want to <laughs> request a meeting with us uh we are currently getting our schedule all figured out and we will be going to that party and mariochi which we've never been to before gdc which has party these, it's called that party i don't no, know which party though that party, Adam, Sam, could you just tell me what fucking party you're talking it's about? It's that party, and that party, and karaoke. Karaoke is basically where a bunch of game developers get together and do karaoke. So these are extremely, you know, highly professional events. We're bringing lots of suits and uh, other very business. I'm things. actually I'm
1: bringing six suits per day. I'm going to be changing.
0: You got to keep that look fresh. You yeah, know? I, I fresh. don't. I don't
1: want it to look like I've been wearing my suit for more than 18 minutes. That's anytime right. somebody sees me, because I won't have been. But yeah, so if you
0: want to, if you want to uh, see if we can throw you onto our schedule, which is filling up actually pretty quick, um, feel free to send us a note through the blog. Go to the blog, and there's a post in there that has a form and all that good stuff that you can send to contact us. If you want a high five, maybe, or if you're just in the Bay Area and you're a huge fan of butterscotch games, maybe we can you know, high five. That's or thing. we can we can beer five. We could we, also beer five. Yeah, which is where or you coffee
2: five now. or bacon five. You know, just really. Many of those would do. Mm-hmm. Just things you put in your mouth,
1: five. Yep. Uh, but the thing that I think we should talk about this week... What's that, is, Seth? ...is the business of of making
2: indie games. Oh, wait, business. Wait. Business and indie games? Yes. I thought, the business of indie games. I thought that was an oxymoron. Yeah. Uh,
1: a lot of people think so, which is why we should talk about it. Okay. Um, so... We some of our community members may have noticed that we've sort of been busy, uh, kind of in a cave for the past couple weeks. Uh, we haven't really been like jamming super hard on Crashlands patch work and stuff like that. Although that's what we prefer to be doing, um, we've been sucked up in all kinds of business vor- vortexes, tornadoes, if vortices, you will. tornadoes, uh, and try just trying to figure out what the hell is going on, um, what to do, and where to go. And I think this is something that happens to a lot of small indie teams, um, or e- in particular, in individuals. You know, like if there's a single person... Did you who, just make that, that up? Was good. That was I good. I did. One. I like it. Uh, Yeah, just like a, like a single person who puts out a game, and, and then the game actually goes somewhere. Um, and up until that point, and, and this is what our situation has been, is, you know, up until now, we've just been... I think something below scraping by. Like that's uh like so so a couple of us weren't getting paid for most of the time that we've been a studio and what we have been paid has been not
2: Well, we were scraping good. by because of communism and that our spouses supported us because the US government does not support people. Right. We redistributed right. the wealth of our spouses. Exactly. To ourselves. To ourselves. <laughs> um
1: yeah, we had we had great family support there, uh, and that's what that's what allowed us to exist. But now we've hit a point where um, we actually can start thinking in terms of you know what what our what our studio is from a business perspective, and how do we convert our organization from from you know three people just kind of like working on these these passion projects um, and not really doing it successfully but still doing it um, and how do we convert that into something that's more like a living like a career uh, but in such a way that we can maintain that level of passion and excitement and all that stuff
0: and i think well i think there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting activity that is that we've that we've done a few times and i think actually everybody who makes games really who works on something that is a passion project that they hope will eventually pay them money should do which is this idea of a uh, case analysis. So you, what we did was we essentially sat down before Crashland's launch. I think we talked about this a bit a while ago, but just to brush up on we sat down before Crashland's launch, and we basically just spelled out, okay, if the game does this well, here's what we think we'll probably do. If it does this well, here's what we think we'll probably do. And we just ratcheted that level up until we got to the point where we figured um, or it was like as far out as we thought we were going to be able to plan. And the importance of doing that at a time before, you know, before the money arrives, before the success or failure hits is because it allows you to uh, essentially not free fall right after that success happens. So, I mean, luckily we did, we did have essentially a soft plan in place where we knew that once crash hit, if it made a, a, like this particular threshold that we hit of revenue, then we would do uh, X, Y, and Z things. And so now it's just coming down to a question of, of A, are we sure that those are what we wanted to do, (laughs) which you kind of have to revisit. Um, Yeah, it
1: has been like three or four months since we... Right, since Put we did that, that plan together. so yeah.
0: yeah, so first is going back and saying, like, okay, what did we think we wanted to do before this happened? And do we still want to do that? Uh, and then B is saying, okay, now now, how do we actually do that? Because that conversation was, I think it was like a two-hour lunch conversation we had where we sort of broke out every single one of these cases and said, okay, in the worst case scenario, we're going to do this. In the best case scenario, we're going to do this. And we were, I mean, it's not a super detail-oriented thing, right? It's just sort of a way to give yourself a bit of a guiding light for when, when the rails can come off so that you don't just fly into an abyss either of success or a failure. Um, yeah. So and you it's do not, see a lot of people say have a that we're,
1: we're not flying into an abyss. Um, it's yeah, just that now we have a lot of decisions to make. And exactly. we're very we've we've become very busy uh, trying to learn a lot about how to make those decisions in a in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, we like so we've had for example we've had invitations from other companies to collaborate with them where maybe they want to uh, use our IP so they want to license like the crash, like characters from Crashlands, uh, to to make a project, and that's not something we've ever had to think about before. And now we have to figure out what are all the things that could possibly go wrong in this scenario, and then how do we how do we protect ourselves from that? Um, and of course, the the way that any company does it is contracts. And so we've had we've had a crash course over the past month in just flurries and flurries of contracts from everywhere. And every single one of them is written in incomprehensible bullshit legalese yeah. uh, with sentences that aren't grammatically sentences and some sentences that are three paragraphs put together, uh, words that are used just completely incorrectly, but in legal speak, they mean a certain thing and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's stupid. So in order to kind of navigate through that, we've you know adopted a, a stance where we just say, all of our contracts coming in have to be in plain English, like literally no they, – they have to be completely understandable to anybody who
2: reads Well, this them. is an important so. thing too, right? It's because if you're not familiar with, with legal stuff and you're getting flooded with these things, uh, you know what, what legalese does is forces all parties to use a lawyer to translate archaic documents, right? When the fact is that for a lot of contracts, I mean, yeah, it, it is always best to have a knowledgeable legal person on board to make sure you aren't getting into trouble in some way. But that doesn't mean that the document has to be in another language. It can still be in English, yeah, so you can yeah. actually figure out how to read it. And uh, it just – but people think that in order for a legal document to be valid, it
1: has to be in legalese. Well, I think this is a job security thing for lawyers. Like over the past you know, few hundred years, lawyers have evolved to speak in ways that make what they do seem really, really complicated. Um, When really it's not that – it's not that big of a deal. Uh, And and a lot of contracts also have just complete nonsense things in them. Like for example, in almost every contract that's been sent to us, there will be several paragraphs basically saying, I agree that in executing the agreements in this contract, I'm going to follow all of the applicable laws. So I'm going to follow all the federal laws, all the state laws, all the local laws, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you have to do that anyway, whether you signed a contract or not, right? Like you can't <laughs> right. just
0: you can't just not follow the law. <laughs> so why is that in there? Um, Can you it, sign a contract that you're not going to follow the law? You know, I mean,
1: well, no, because that's conspiracy to commit a crime, right? I mean, that's you literally writing down, "I'm gonna I'm gonna break the law." I mean,
0: not that um, I've done that or anything, but... yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and then there's there's these hilarious uh, sections that'll be like, "I promise that." That as the person signing this contract, I'm authorized to sign this contract. Well, if that's not true, then then the fact that you signed it doesn't make the the promise true. True, right? I mean, <laughs> right. like that's a it's, like it a, paradox. Paradox. it's, it's a given. Yeah. Like it, you have to be the person; otherwise, the contract is void anyway. So the promise, yeah, I don't know. Um, so there's all these there's all these insane things that we've had to kind of jump over, and it's just taken a lot of time. Um,
0: yeah, and on top of that, I mean, we're we're trying to figure out how to basically turn this turn the studio into a thing that uh, that you know we we still love like it's basically the same thing, but that is able to sort of uh, grow and scale in some interesting ways. And just thinking through all of the various nuances of doing that because it's not as simple as being like, well, let's add a person. Um, because now you got to figure out how that you person relates to everybody yeah. and everything else. You it was can't just, a, just
1: add a person. Yeah. Like you have so, to really, you have to think through it a
0: lot. We're tra- well, what we're the, what you really have to
2: do though is formalize and codify the thing that you've been doing. And like, we have to basically take our relationship as, as siblings who are all in on this, on this project of this company that we're making and where this is the thing we do. This is our hobby and our job. And the thing that we're staking our futures on. It's our jobby. It's, it's our <laughs> – fuck you. <sir. laughs> Portmanteau. Hey, <laughs> do do your jobby. That. What do we do – I mean how do we then codify all the, th- the beliefs that we have about what it means to like work on this kind of project? And uh, and how do we how do we turn that into a sort of a set of ideals that we can then try to convince someone else to share?
0: Well, the, the interesting thing on that, though, and we've gotten this comment a few times as we've, you know, slowly been talking to some of the people who we, who we respect and are trying to get some various pieces of advice from on this thing where we say, oh, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're going to grow the studio. And every single time, actually, I don't think there has been a person yet who was like, that sounds like a great idea. Everybody's been like, why no would you do that? The response has always been no one will ever care as much as you do. No one. And my response is bullshit. <laughs> uh, bull shit and a half, because I think the reality is- That's
1: a lot, is, of, that's 50% more bullshit than yeah, normal. Yeah,
0: because I think the reality is everyone's looking for really like good work to do with good people. And I think it's just, I think it's just the case that the, yes, the vast majority of companies uh, fail along those lines. But the truth is also that, you know, your, your amount of shit giving also kind of ebbs and flows over time. You know, I mean, I think there's been some days where I haven't given a damn at all about doing stuff. And some days where I like yesterday, where I'm working until I go to bed for the whole day. So it kind of ebbs and flows over time, anyways. And I think it's kind of it's kind of a question of do the structures and the culture within the organization actually allow people to give all of their shits, you know? Because well, yeah. that's what we want. We yeah. want all of the shits. But the know? the the people who say
1: things like nobody's really gonna care, like even people who come to work at your company, they aren't going to care about that company. Um, that's, that's coming from, from people who have probably experienced a lot of hiring in a lot of sort of traditional companies, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, where you'll, you'll see policies and this is pretty widespread uh, here in the U S you'll see policies like, uh, when you come work for us, you don't get any vacation days your first year. And your second you year, you got to earn those. Yeah, vacations. your second days. year, you have earned a week of vacation, and your third year, you're, you've you've worked your way up to having two weeks. Um, but or, we look
2: down upon you actually taking that vacation, and yeah. can
1: also just say no when you ask for it. You have to ask us if you can like it's take like <laughs> a
0: hall pass to go to the fucking bath. <laughs> to go to the bath, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And so, so most company policies like that are built out of a foundation of distrust. As in, as in you say, we're going to bring you on board here, but we don't believe that you are responsible enough to have the privilege of being able to step away for a week and decompress um, because you're just going to abuse it, right? So you have to spend two years proving to us that we can trust you. Uh, and like, and most company policies operate around that that form of distrust – Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so we're trying to figure out ways to not do that because then it's shitty for everybody. Right? Well, the
0: way, the way I think about it also is kind of like, uh, I mean, if you look at the prison system in the U S for example, versus prison systems and well, that escalated quickly. Well, yeah, well, here, you'll, you'll see what I'm getting to, uh, which is that <laughs> basically the way that you treat a person and the way the, the rules that you give them to work within are uh, in turn end up reflecting how they behave and treat you right at the end of the day and easy easy example of this is if you look at the uh sort of basic penal institutions in the u.s versus in uh usually a lot of the northern european countries that are all progressive as i'll get out um the difference between the prisons there is is so stark and ridiculous that uh it's it's kind of unbelievable like you can go in for for murder for example in I think, was that Norway or Sweden, where the place was? Norway, yeah. Uh, Norway. And basically what you do is you get, you do get, you get isolated away from everybody else. You get put in uh, a small town. Isolated from open. society,
1: not from human beings in general.
0: Right. But it's a completely open thing, and you're in charge of, like, you're, like, the cook in this place now. Like, that's your job. You get your own bunk that has, like, a door with a lock on it. You have your own shower. Yeah, this is
1: the thing that I thought was the most interesting. Is in all these different places, people have keys to their own rooms. They don't have cells right. that they get locked into. They have a key and they can come and go as they please. And the idea is, uh, the idea is, this person committed a crime not because they're inherently bad, but because something happened that sort of you know put them into a position where where they did this. Um, right, and so we have to educate this person, basically. Right.
2: Now, I and gotta say, I've been listening to this and I'm super confused about what this has to do with So here's,
0: here's where it goes because company culture... I'm also okay, wondering so, where Sam's going with it. So in, in I do think US, it's fascinating. Just wait, wait for the turnaround. So in the U.S., <laughs> in the U.S., though, you're, uh, everybody knows how the penal system works, which basically you get thrown in a, in a cold cell. There's like a, a ton of violence in the jail system all sorts of creepy stuff happening. Um, not a very good place to Lots be. Lots of solitary
1: you know? confinement.
0: Yeah, and uh, the generally, like, guards and stuff treat people very poorly, um, you know, as if they're not people, essentially. And the response to that, though, is not... I mean, it, doesn't, it does not uh, create an atmosphere in which people respond well, as you might guess, right? So people who are put in a position where they have these really sort of draconian constraints on them and where they're not sort of treated like people don't do... basically just don't do as well across the board... When it comes to either getting better at a thing or in the case of like being in jail. Wait know, a minute.
1: You see what I'm getting at? So what you're saying is <laughs> the way prisoners are treated in the U.S. is actually very similar to the way just workers are treated in the U.S. That, uh, I'm not, I, saying saying <laughs> is,
0: I mean, it is what I'm saying in a sense where it's like the – it's weird to me that you would give someone really, really intense and frankly uh, sort of, sort of like not treating them like a full person rules – And then get upset when they respond by, yeah, by badly, either by abusing the system that you gave them, which frankly deserves to be abused on nearly every account, or, uh, or by you know by leaving or doing like terrible things in the workplace, all this stuff. So I think it's interesting that people don't recognize that the system that you codify into existence for your organization is going to end up reflecting the values and the way that people get to fall in love with or hate. The organization that they get to work for.
1: Well, I, I, th- I think I mean just as a as a last Adam. Tell I Adam.
2: still think that the prison <laughs> was a little <laughs> was a little. Uh, I mean it's uh, the, it's the edge of the version that I've for. Sure. It's you the know. most extreme possible yeah. comparison point. Um, but here, but I have a question though. Hmm. I don't know enough about the laws about because because the one of the things we learned is that as a, as a small company because there are only like three of us right now, and we intend to stay pretty small uh, forever. That we have we have some big hopes and dreams, of course. Uh, but bigger companies, you know, once you hit this 50 person mark, all of a sudden all these new laws in the U S kick in Mm -hmm. and there are other, there are other levels as well where new laws begin to kick in about what you're allowed to do for hiring practices and for vacation stuff and for leave and all these kinds of things. So what I'm wondering is because these legal systems add layers of bureaucracy to stuff and in particular, they mess with the hiring and firing processes. Uh, is it the case that because it becomes so hard to fire people that they mm, basically end up building in this? Because for us, like, because our what, our what we're kind of, our plan is basically to say, we want to be able just to bring people on board, have mutual trust. And if that trust is broken, they're gone forever. That's just the end of the story. It's, you know, very simple, right? Uh, but that's because we as a small company can, and, and it also depends on what state you're in. So you can actually have freedom to fire people at any time and that kind of stuff. Because uh, by having the ability to do that, we get to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Because if they don't live up to it, we can get rid of them.
1: Well, all
0: I know is nothing. I don't know yeah, enough don't know about either. any of this, so <laughs> I have no clue what what well, it is. Well, this is why all of our brains have been hurting, and you haven't heard anything from us because we've been yeah. thinking about all these things. Yeah, but I think I think a much
1: lighter point of comparison before we move on to some questions uh, is is if you. If you think about it like a game designer, you know, whatever systems you put in place, people are going to operate within within the constraints of those systems. And some people will try to work around the systems. Yeah. And if you and if you implement a system that abuses people, they're going to abuse it back. Um, and if you put in a system that inherently trusts people and expects the best of them, um, they're really going to appreciate it. Like, they're going to really have a good time. So, um, yeah, I don't know.
0: It's well, so I guess I mean in that sense, what, what are we saying? That like general general employee to employer relations, or something like a free to play model versus the uh, versus the the enjoyment you get from a pay upfront model. as it were uh, like we have to trick you into into doing stuff? Th- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That seems like a stretch metaphor. Adam, you're but- is not about the <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> what, do you, what do you what do you want from me? What am I supposed to do? We what don't do know you? anything. We don't know. We have zero idea what the fuck we're talking about if it's not if it's not patently clear by now. Yeah. I just compared work to jail systems in two different countries. What are we yeah. doing, guys? Well, I don't know. I think, though, the, what's
1: important is that we recognize, and everybody else who's listening recognizes, <laughs> that we don't know what the fuck we're doing, but we wanted to talk about this on the podcast almost as like a snapshot, um, where it's always really interesting to look back on what you used to think and how you used to operate. And, you know, maybe, maybe five years from now, we'll come back and listen to this podcast and be like,
2: wow, we were
0: naive. Naive as fuck. Or th- we mm-hmm.
1: had some stupid ideas. Um, those are very possible. And in I would fact, say likely. maybe.
2: I would say inevitably
1: that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting in any case. So that's all, that's all I have to say about, about it. I don't know. You guys have any other final thoughts? Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: Nah. No, I mean it was basically <laughs> we're talking about this for that reason to look to look back on it, but also because uh, it it's been so clear to us that I mean up until now what we were doing is basically just racing madly towards trying to create something that could make us successful as a company, and and now that it looks like we've done that, all of a sudden the, like sort of the time constraints are now kind of gone, right, or at least severely relaxed. Um, the things that are important have suddenly shifted. Because it used to just be getting Crashlands done. That was the only thing that mattered mm. in our lives. That was a two-year goal. Yeah, for two years, that was all that mattered was 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 making Crashlands. It had nothing to do with the studio. It was just getting that game done and out. And now we get to switch focus to something else. And, and we don't know what to do about that, but we think it's an important thing for indie devs and developers in general just to be aware of. Right. That right. The, it's That it's very unclear what to do at all times. And that once you actually start to get success making games, all of a sudden it's even less about games than it was, which actually wasn't even that much in the first place. Because it's it's more about PR than it is in marketing than it is even about games, even while you're making the game in the first place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is something that people tend to not anticipate nearly well enough. And I mean, even we we didn't um yeah. yeah okay i mean just, case
0: planning helped a little bit yeah but, but just certainly not
1: enough just anticipating exactly how much if you if you become a professional game developer uh most of what you're going to be doing is not making games right so if you if you want to make games just for the passion of it or whatever um and you just fucking love making games just bear in mind that if you want to turn it into a career you're actually going to be doing it a lot less than you might even be doing it now mm-hmm. uh you you will still be able to do it, and you'll still love the shit out of it. But it's just a different scene. All right, so let's take some questions from okay. from people from humans. Uh, normally at this point we would do a segment called "Here's some games we're playing." Let's talk about that. But we've been so goddamn busy we haven't played any games really. Uh, nope. So whatever. So these questions <laughs> come from these questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. They are from bscotch ID members as well as a couple anonymous people sprinkled in there. And our first question comes from Mia Kitty. Question course. is, Mia Kitty, no more an Australia fan, by the way. Uh, Mia Kitty asks, Crashlands intro music is balls. Thank you again, Fat Bard. Let's have some spontaneous lyrics to it. Sing the song of flux right now. Oh, boy. She <laughs> said it. She said it right now. I assume this is directed
0: at Sam. So I mean, it seems, of imp- course, seems of implied. Of course. <laughs> you would pass, you would pass <laughs> this flaming hot buck into my lap. Get bucked. Get uh, let's see, uh, but you. So earlier, I started singing something when we read this question. It kind of sounded it, like the Flintstones. You said it? Has to be to it, the Crashland's totally intro the music. Let me pull this well, up. Well, so she That's said.
1: She said the intro music is a Maze Balls. Let's have some spontaneous lyrics to it. So I, I assume this. You're just
2: you're adding words. To it the seems pretty to it.
0: unambiguous. Okay, let me uh, let me pull this up so I can actually... You guys keep being entertaining for, for one moment. All right. Wait, yes. have we
2: been entertaining yet? Nope. Shit. Get on it. I've uh, been feeling subdued during this cast.
1: Sub... Subdued? Like sub... Half-
0: yeah. B- I, by, some, by like, bless the regular Flex Shade. And choose the box coming to a. new. You go do, go. Yeah. <laughs> Shoots lasers out of his fat face. Was yeah, that bad? That's
2: pretty good. I mean, I
0: hope Patrick will throw the actual song back there, so it's not just he'll, terrible. <laughs> <rubbers>. He'll <laughs> auto-tune it. I wouldn't. Auto-tune I wouldn't me,
2: worry. Patrick. Auto-tune. Yeah. All
0: right. Next question comes from
1: Inspector Forty Two. Question is. Was the Crashlands launch successful enough to do what you want to do as a studio next, as opposed to what you feel like you need to do to keep the studio going?
0: Oh, that's a we kind of already question. Yeah, we, we sort of hit that already. Um, so I'd say uh, yes for both of them, actually. So the weird thing is to, to, do, to do what we want to do, there's a stuff, bunch of stuff that we need to do that we don't want to do.
2: Yeah, that's just going to always be true.
0: So that's your answer. Yeah, yeah
2: it's always a
1: mix of want and need. Next question comes from Amc. You guys have done an incredible job of keeping a great community of gamers together with your enthusiasm, sharing your challenges, and committing to being awesome devs. Any thoughts on the importance of keeping this kind of community
0: together? Ew, I a good
2: ego strip. Sam
0: read an article. So I read an article. So let me tell you about this article. It's not about prison. So, okay, So everybody, calm down. If you think of please. if you think How of your much players of a like, a, is it going to be though? If you, <laughs> if you think of your players like like
2: prisoners. If you think of your players like <laughs> like the dodo, like murderers, and know. games are like, and communities are like their jail. Yeah, right. This the
0: dodo jail. Is the we're dodo about. jail. Sure. Yeah. Then w- the importance of community becomes. Uh, Okay, let me just reference this article because this metaphor is stretching too far. Um, this article I read is from the games industry biz, I think, gamesindustry.biz website, um, which has tons and tons of articles on the games industry stuff and people's sort of thought leaders' thoughts on what is going on and how to do things properly. By
2: the so, way, if you call uh, yourself a thought leader, you're not. Yeah, Continue. I'm not a thought
0: leader. So uh, I have no thoughts worthy of ever being repeated, which is just the way I. I'd like to start that before I say anything that might be useful, just in case it's a bad idea. <laughs> so uh, the idea that this guy put forth, and that I totally agree with, and that obviously we've been putting into practice, is that as an indie especially, especially as an indie, your, all of your sort of power actually comes from the community that you're able to create and develop around your games. All of your power. So think about this. So for example, when we launched Crashlands, we had 50,000 people in the Scotch ID system. However, uh, the vast, vast majority of those uh, were, were players who had never actually paid for anything. In fact, I think about only 10% of them were, were actually paying players. In other words, those are people who actually sort of keep us alive in a real sense, in a direct sense. The other ones are very good for, for a variety of things, but not necessarily for paying the bills at the end of the day. Um, but with Crashlands, where we've been able to add a lot more people into Biscotty ID. And those are people who, for the most part, not all of them, but for the most part, have actually purchased something from us. What that means then in the future is that when we do a launch or something like that, or even when we sell T-shirts here in a few weeks, when we get the Crashlands T-shirts uh, figured out, we can now send a note to everybody who actually has backed us, you know, on a on a wallet level. People who have very bought different. in, literally, right, they literally bought in. Um, we can send them stuff and be like, hey, uh, we have these these sweet T-shirts. We also have this new lore story that we made up that's about like Tack and his. Uh, clan of Quadriple in the ocean, what was going on between Quadriple's Rampage and Crashlands happening, um, we essentially can just con- continue deepening that relationship, because the one rough thing about games, of course, is that they take like two hours, two hours, they took two years or so to make, right? And in between those big launches, and you guys actually getting some new stuff to play with, uh, there's a long lull. And so in the case of Crashlands, I mean, us getting just the creator patch out and the quality of life patch out, it's already been, it's already been a month before this uh, quality of life patch has gone into beta. So we're, we've been trying to figure out really good ways to essentially fill that space with really fun, relevant content. And what we basically landed on is is by like, running community stuff, and then also by turning the community creations on, using the creator, and then uh, further by, by providing cool lore and other sort of opportunities for people to continue enriching themselves in the universe that we've made if they like it a lot, but without a game right since those are take so long to produce so i think i really don't think you could possibly understate the importance of having a community uh as a game dev especially as as an indie studio i
1: also think from a sanity perspective yeah i was gonna say i have it yeah from that perspective just knowing i mean just knowing that you have a, a large group of people who believe in the stuff that you're doing and who have your back um like a oh man I can't I can't express how great it was when we had we we had this super negative article come out about Crashlands and I got to go into our Discord server where we have you know like a good like 25 30 people just chilling most of the time um I was just like hey guys look at this <laughs> And everybody's like, fuck that article. We don't know what they're talking <laughs> about, right? And I'm like, yeah, validation, you know. Um, well,
2: I mean, without a community, then the relationship between us and the people we're making stuff for becomes purely a support and review-based relationship, which fucking sucks. Like, that that's the thing that has driven us out of parts of the community periodically. Like, that's driven us out of the Steam forums entirely because- the Steam forums are so negative on average, and so focused on whether they feel like they're getting the support they're entitled to, and and that's it. So they're, right. they're you know as a community, that group is much more interested in making sure that we as developers live up to their expectations. Well, it's, to support it's the not a community. It's, it's not a community. Nobody in there knows
1: each other. It's a revolving door of anger. It's a, it's a anger, support system. Right? Like people, right, just, exactly. people just come in and be like, fuck this. And then they just walk right back up. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, and it's no yeah, And
2: so without an actual community uh, that that's rallied around the stuff we're making, um, who understands that we're just people who fuck up sometimes and are, and are trying to make things, you know, that we think are, are fun and, and enrich people's lives in some way, and who you know, so who get behind what we're trying to do. Without that, then all we have is us as a company and customers. And I don't, I have no interest in a customer company relationship. To me, that we want is gross, we and want boring. players and fans. Yeah, I want, I want, I want to interact with players and community members. Um, yeah, it's and, just uh, better. So yeah, so for better. me, it's just better. So I still spend time in in our Discord server and try to answer stuff on Reddit. And every once in a while, we back out of those things when we're just too sucked into other work. But even still, I'd like to jump in and just kind of see what the community is talking about, because it reminds me that there are people who have kind of rallied behind the stuff that we're doing and have met each other because of it um, and are kind of, are just interested in what we're going to do next. Because without that, it's just, what would be the point? Exactly. We'd just be making stuff for ourselves, which is... Just less weird. interesting. And then when yeah. it comes
1: out, we would get judged a whole bunch in reviews, and then that would be the extent of the – yeah. that's That just sounds like a nightmare. So, yeah. Right. Next question comes from Tofos. Do you prepare somehow for answering the podcast questions, or the, are the answers totally spontaneous?
0: I think we always glance over them just to make sure there's no analytics questions that Adam needs to go get info on. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's but right. yeah, otherwise we just – we just kind of roll with it. Roll with the punches. Yeah, we try or to do ponches. as little preparation as
2: possible. <laughs> we roll we with, try the to, with the punches. <laughs> with the punches. We try to outline what it is we're going to do and talk about. And after that, we actually try to shush each other when somebody starts going off you know, on a philosophical tirade about an item so that we can save it for the podcast. Because uh, part of the problem is we spend all of our time working and hanging out together. So you know we already... We talk We've about almost every week. goddamn thing, yeah. And so it's hard to have a, a a podcast that feels spontaneous and like we're actually you know doing something together because we it's boring to us just as it would be to you guys to all you to you listeners if uh, if everything sounded scripted. Yeah. So so yeah. So we try not to talk about it as much as possible. We still and you'll hear parts of the podcast too where you're like that kind of sounds like they talked about that too much before well, this is in. this
1: is partially why for, like for me personally I don't know about you guys but for me personally the the question segment is my favorite part of the podcast uh because it it really does like throw stuff into our laps that we probably haven't thought about or haven't talked about yet um where you know if we're just hitting news items or something like it's stuff that we've all gone through already this week together you know so right. uh yeah I, I fucking love the questions because of that yeah. Uh, next question comes from Inspector42. How did you deal with the overwhelming success of the launch in terms of buzz and hopefully sales alongside the craziness of having to deal with the forums, Bscotch ID, and other various
2: issues in the same period of time? Were you able to <laughs> enjoy yourselves? <laughs> uh, this was probably posted. This might have been posted before the launch, I think, or like shortly after anyway. Uh, as especially our, commu- our active community members know, we literally just turned the forums off.
0: Yeah. So oh, we yeah. didn't. Into it. We uh, we couldn't handle it.
2: <laughs> well, <guess>. no. <laughs> we handled it okay. The, the main problem actually was, <laughs> as we've noted previously, we had so many channels of, of communication between players and us, uh, which in the past had been fun because it was just a lot of ways we'd interact with people. But in this case, now there were suddenly so many people. And most importantly, they were all asking the same questions.
1: Well, they were asking the same questions and they were reporting bugs. Um, and re-
2: Right. And those bugs were usually things we'd already addressed. Yeah. So, I mean, because of, I don't know
1: if it's because of the way people tend to use the internet nowadays with like, it's all about creating content, like post things on Instagram, post things on Facebook, post things on Twitter, Be, like because yeah, of that. It's not the, about
2: discovering information. It's not
1: about going and getting information. It's about putting stuff out there. And I think because people have kind of been trained to do this over the past decade, um, now the way most people deal with a bug for example, in a game is they leave a negative review with a bug report in it, or they tweet at the developer of the game and say, here's a crash that I found. Um, or they just go to whatever they've come across first as like seeming like the place where the devs are and just, just post something um, before ever looking for the answer to their question. Yeah, And so, yeah, because of the fact that we had five or six different avenues for people to report those things uh, we we literally just spent the first couple of days of launch with each of us had six tabs open in Chrome for all these different places, and we're just bouncing from one to the other trying to uh address all of these
2: things. So which is shockingly tiring. I
0: mean, <laughs> it was it was very tiring. tiring. Well,
2: I mean, and then again, most of, you know, the most important piece of this is we were answering the same questions over and over again, and because none of these communication channels are designed for bug reporting, and most people don't know how to report bugs, and of course that's not their fault. Then the consequence was that we were basically getting this deluge of partial information about things that may or may not <laughs> be actual bugs well, that we may so or may not stressful. have already addressed. Yeah, it was very stressful, very time-consuming, and a lot of that was, of course, just trying to the process of figuring out if something was a was actually a problem or not was just well, it, and it requires a ridiculous amount of time.
1: And there's the the marginal amount of people. Actually, it was a much higher proportion than you would think. Probably I would guess about 15 to 20% of our bug reports came from people who hacked the game and broke something and then just reported a bug without disclosing whether – like the fact that they hacked it. Right. Um, Which meant that we – suddenly we hit a panic. We're like, what is this new error message? We've never seen this before. Nobody else reported it. How could this possibly happen? And we have to start digging through the code trying to figure out like where the problem is. Uh, But it turns out this person just went into the
2: code themselves and just broke it. Um, yeah without telling us fair to say in the past because crash launched basically 20 work days ago ish right and in that time i think it's very fair to say that an entire one of entire week of that an entire five of those 20 days has has gone to uh mostly seth but all of us um responding to things that weren't really bugs or that were people hacking stuff and creating things that weren't our responsibility to fix, right. but not telling us so that we lost a lot of time trying to track it down. So, so which is all I mean to, to come back to the question, um, which What's was the question what was it? how do how oh. do we deal with Beastcatch ID, the forums, etc., along with the launch itself? Um, what we realized was that we had to. Well, actually, let me add one more point to that. We all began to dread going into all those places.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Which is, and this is a bad thing because as for the pre your previous question about the importance of community and so on. We love going out and interacting with our, with our players. Like we loved, we love going out and talking to them, but all of a sudden, every time we did, they would just throw bugs at us. Yeah. Or, or ask it, well, the questions worst. we've answered a thousand times. Like, is there going to be multiplayer and where's the, the controller support and that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and so it suddenly began to feel sort of like a welcoming community place that we were going out into. It felt like, uh, and it wasn't actually hostile, but it felt hostile. Because it was all stuff. Well, it's that just very demanding. In, in yeah, sense, very demanding in the sense, in a
1: sense that every time you show your face in one of these areas, somebody jumps in and is like, "I want there to be this in the game. <laughs> right. Fix this problem. Do this.
2: Yeah. Do this." Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we we all. I mean, Sam and Seth in particular basically just like stopped touching uh, Discord um, like entirely. They just like it became so overwhelming. They were just like, "I don't want to have that negative experience," and so they just left. Yeah. Right. And the forums we just turned off because our our moderators were so overwhelmed by trying to regulate the influx of garbage that was coming through. Again, of people posting a question that was answered in the top thread in the forums. Yeah. Right? And that our, kind of you stuff. know,
1: bless our moderators' hearts. They were just like they're like merging threads insanely, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like reorganizing things and answering. Yeah. Like this is already answered here and linking people to the answers. Mm-hmm. And
2: right, they were trying to do a good job instead of instead of just declaring bankruptcy. Oh, well, they like, were doing a and- good job. They they were, were doing, yeah, no, they were doing great a great job. and But, of course, they were getting overwhelmed, the, and the forums turned into literal garbage. They weren't helping anybody. And so, so we just turned them off until until things died down. And and as we talked about last podcast, we just last week have basically stopped using Twitter mm-hmm. for the same kind of reasons, which is basically unlike these other places, unlike Discord or Reddit or our forums, where there's a community there with sort of expected kinds of behaviors and and people who know what the what those what those interfaces are for Twitter is just random people throwing noise it's, at us again it's a revolving door of, yeah. of, of no, individuals there's, no, there's no cultural
1: memory there yeah, there's right. no community so, yeah there's no community I personally I've been having a great time on the Crashland subreddit and, yeah, and like in the Butterscotch it. forums you know where there actually are there's a consistent group of people who keep coming back and talking about stuff. So it feels like a welcoming place, and and because of the fact that you know if people keep asking the same questions over and over again, those get answered over and over again, and those people who exist in that community, they know the answers, and then mm-hmm. they jump in on our behalf, and they're like, dude, this was already answered like eighteen times here, 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 here. <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. Um, yeah, so so it's really like, it's really just a problem with those places like the Steam forums and Twitter, uh, where. There, like Sam said, there's, there's no cultural memory of
2: what's going on. Well, it's also so. about expectations because people, especially on Twitter, you know people's people use that as a place when they interact with the company to tell them about something bad that's happened, right? Yeah and, yeah. and that's it. So it becomes a customer support tool, but we don't want to use it as a customer support tool. We have other mechanisms for that. And because we want to use it as a social tool, uh, the customer support aspect that people keep on throwing at us basically ruins it for that purpose
0: and yeah, so it's actually it's really i think this comes back partially to the planning thing we discussed earlier but uh just as like a really quick one-off here, like it's extremely important as an indie dev to make sure that you control the uh social spaces that you're in so that you can still have a good time in them right because i mean i could see how this could easily if it was just one of us especially honestly dealing with that deluge of stuff that would have been so cripplingly overwhelming um that i you know Well, I think though it would have soured a lot of those platforms and I think it wouldn't have been that
1: bad if it's like if, for example, if for me, if I knew that my entire job was to do that stuff, then I, I would have been able to handle it. No problem. But if I'm supposed to be doing that plus preparing stuff for like tax season is coming, right? So, like, I got to get that stuff organized. I got to work on the quality of life patch. I need to field customer. Uh, I, I don't, I not only would have to like take bug reports in, but also fix the bugs and then patch right. them and deploy those patches and all that stuff. So, it's like 20 different things that I'm trying to balance on top of responding yeah, to mean. reports on Twitter. It's like,
0: if all I had to do was manage Twitter, then that would be. No problem. Right. Right. But, but that's what I'm saying, though, is like as, as an indie dev, that's not all you have to do. Exactly. So, exactly. As a result, it's like it, you can, you got to be really careful and make sure, make sure that you take, don't let the tools use you. you know what I'm <laughs> right. saying? Well, that use was like, is we
2: realized each, we've realized now repeatedly over and over again, all of a sudden, we were like, crap, we've been doing this wrong because we've been letting, we've been letting this thing control us instead of vice versa. And actually, we just had this, we just dealt with this. We talked about the top of the podcast about dealing with contracts and stuff we've been getting these messy contracts that aren't in either party's best interest that are written in legalese and those are coming from other people. But then we've been taking time to rewrite them on behalf of the person who sent them to us in the first place so that they work for both parties. But that shouldn't be our responsibility, which it we just suddenly realize, and now we're not going to do anymore. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a huge waste So, of time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a giant massive time sink and, and it, it's just easy to forget, especially when, you want to be the good guy in all these situations. And, and you truly like, we actually, we love helping people with stuff, right? So it's easy to get sucked into support issues when they've already been solved, because my default response when somebody asks a question is to is, answer it, is yes, to be like, Oh, here's, you know, let me help you out. Even if I've helped out that person, you know, or similar problems a thousand times. And, and it only really gets frustrating once you realize just how much time you've lost uh, to that stuff um and and more importantly how how much the people who are asking don't care about your time because yeah. if they did they would have done a search first and found it immediately yeah well um,
1: and that's that's part of uh you know kind of the the long-term trend that's been established of the sort of sour relationship between developers and players yeah
2: exactly it's not people's fault which
1: is also an important to remember yeah they've been mm-hmm. trained for years to to act a certain way in various contexts so Uh, It's difficult to to get around that. But anyway, let's hit the the next question. Next question comes from Map5597. Map says, my roommate was wondering why you guys didn't make the art assets in Crashlands in 4K. I thought about it, and it seemed reasonable, especially since you could scale them down for mobile
2: devices. (laughs) I Uh, think by his roommate, he means himself.
1: Well, I was going to say, I I mean, it was really (laughs) nice of him. Like he could have just taken credit for this thought, you know. <laughs> like he could have just claimed it on his for himself, but he, he mm-hmm. gave the credit where it was due. Um, I guess I could take this one because it's sort of a game maker it's a technical question. thing. Yeah. So yes, we could have made giant textures and then scaled them down for mobile devices. Um, but what that would basically amount to is we would still have uh, to code everything twice when it was animated uh, and I don't know, like the, the way that things are like that are handled in game maker. Wait, wait,
2: just to go back. You mean do, do you have to do it twice? Cause you'd also have to have low res versions.
1: We would need low it... res version. So, so the way it would have to be done in, in something like game maker is we would need a sort of mobile version of that asset and then a high res version of that same thing. And we would say if you're on and mobile, because
2: of memory limitations. Yes. Right.
1: And we okay. would say, if you're on mobile use these textures. If you're on PC, use these textures. Um, but it's not just as simple as using one or the other. We're talking about 2D. So it's not it's not like on a 3D model where you just like use a different texture. Uh, for 2D stuff, each texture is almost like a, or each each image is like an individual object. So think about like Flux's arm and the way Flux's arm moves around attached to her shoulder. Well, the way that that rotates and where it's attached to the shoulder and everything is based on pixel coordinates. So if we had a texture that was twice as big on PC, then we would have to use a different set of coordinates than, uh, for like, for where her shoulder is than a half size texture on mobile. Um, so that that literally would require doing the math twice for every single thing. And mm-hmm. if we ever wanted to redesign something, that would also require us exporting it twice and then importing it twice and then recoding it twice. Um, so it's just not really for a 2D game it's just not really feasible. For a 3D well, game it's totally And there's a totally another question
2: though, thing. which is how much market penetration does 4K have? Uh yeah. like less than 1% I would imagine. Yeah, it's 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 tiny. Pen- I mean and yeah, for without a doubt that's going to begin to grow to increase, right? The fact is when when development on Crashland started, 4K wasn't a thing that people cared about. At, mm-hmm. yeah, well, not even that they didn't care about it. It essentially didn't exist. Didn't exist, this was right? was 2 years ago. And so if you, if you develop a game based on what is going to happen in the future, it's okay. actually here, here's the, here's a shorter thing. It's generally a mistake to, to design your, your game or just your software in general around a tiny piece of the market. Oh yeah. I mean, we get people asking this kind of stuff all the time. Like why don't, like we just had somebody uh, tweeted us asking us to support BlackBerry.
1: Which is the same as supporting 4K resolution. Yeah, nobody I has <laughs> it. I didn't know
2: BlackBerry still existed. That's how little market penetration it has, right? And yeah, we could spend time coding for that and doing that. We could, we could spend time coding for every one percent piece of the. Of oh, the, we, of could, the we could we could work
1: on Crashlands for the rest of our lives trying yeah. to accommodate everything. Like mm-hmm. there's there's uh, we get the question all the time. Hey, how come Crashlands doesn't have controller support for iOS? It's like, yep. well, the proportion of people who both have an iPhone and a controller for that thing is, is tiny. Gosh, I don't know. A thousandth of a percent. I mean, it's probably like one in a million. <laughs> it's no, it's, it's a, know, tiny maybe slightly higher of than people. that, but it's not that many. Um and then and then there's a third part of that Venn diagram, which has to be people who own Crashlands, right? People who own an iPhone, people who own a controller for that iPhone, and people who own Crashlands. That six those six people would be the ones who no better, more who
2: importantly, it's people who would only buy Crashlands if it had controller support for their iDevice, right? Right, because uh, they can still enjoy it perfectly without a controller. So, and the assumption along with all of this is that there's something wrong with the existing control scheme, which we don't believe for a second, right? So, so to us, it's basically building a redundant thing um, to serve a tiny fraction of the population. And, and again, like if there was a thing that we just personally super cared about, like if, if one of us loved 4K graphics, had a bunch of 4K devices. Maybe we would also include 4K as an option, but otherwise we can't just go to every random uh, uh, early adopter thing in the market because there are basically catering to early. Yeah,
1: catering to early adopters is almost always a losing proposition when you are like if you're making a platform like say Oculus or something. That's one thing because what people are adopting is like that thing, right? But then making something that only a subset of early adopters will get, so like making a game that only works on the Oculus, for example, uh, that's going to be a much more difficult position to put yourself into. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, next question. Well, I think actually
2: VR in general is a good thing to talk about here because VR is basically brand new 100% early adopter, right?
1: Yeah, and the the VR uh, headsets are now – the prices are coming out and they're like $700 –
2: a piece, plus you need insane hardware. Yeah, well, and there's, hardware mega, too, right? Right. and there's a And there's a massive competition now between these different VR platforms, which means that there aren't standards yet. Everyone's kind of trying to do their own thing until – so basically until the dust settles and some standards come out and, and companies start winning and prices start coming down, the market penetration is going to be just tiny. Yeah.
1: So what you have to do if you're going to make a game that's just for VR, for example –
2: is, is be very wealthy already.
1: Well, no, you just – you go to the you go to the <laughs> company. So for example, Facebook owns Oculus, right? So if you're going to make an Oculus-only game, you go to Facebook and you say, hey, pay us to make this game because you're not going to actually make enough money to support – like from the game to support the development. Um, but the company making the platform benefits hugely from having exclusive games that work really well that are designed for that thing to showcase the hardware, blah, 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 right? So Facebook could totally bankroll. You're helping them sell hardware,
2: not vice versa.
1: Yeah. So Facebook could totally bankroll just a whole smorgasbord of of studios making games specifically for the Oculus. But those studios probably couldn't do that uh, without that support in any kind of a reasonable way. Um, Okay. Next question comes from Syrinx H. I know this would probably be a lot of work, but do you think you might ever make an inventory screen? Ooh, ooh. I love this question. I just really like to know how much stuff I have. Also, a recipe book would be nice. I'd love to be able to change my tracking on the go. Curmudgeon. I think this person <laughs> played fight That's where I think that curmudgeon came from. It's nice. Um, Quite possible. Okay. Do we, uh, this is a this is a
0: big one. I mean, it is, and it also is not because of everything we've talked about. Well, uh, well first though, the answer is no. Yeah, which is why it's not. So, is good as like the answer is no. Uh, and the reason why it's no, and we've toyed with various various versions of a sort of slight implementation of this, where, for example, you could open up your uh, compendium, and if you were looking at a particular item, say Sawgrass, it would actually give you the number of each of those components for that thing that you had in your inventory. The problem is the second that we open up that capability, uh, your ability to, or yeah, I guess the propensity for a player to dive into the menus which is the opposite of what the experience is that we want, becomes very, very likely yep. and also very high. And so there was no way that we could figure out how to let you see your entire inventory alongside not making that completely break the experience. Unless, uh, it's just an idea I had just now, perhaps there was a structure you had to build that you had to throw down. But then, of course, people just carry it around with them. And, yeah, and there's just no good way to do it. there's no good way to do Yeah, and, and we've, we've talked
1: about how... Uh, The core concept underlying every decision that we made in Crashlands was the idea of adventure and exploration. And people say like, oh, I don't like the fact. In the same breath, they'll be like, oh man, like I feel so immersed in this game and I just love it. Uh, But I'm really frustrated at how I can't change the recipe that I'm tracking while I'm walking out in the world. What people fail to realize is what has made them so immersed in the game is the fact that their exploration and adventuring has been completely uninterrupted by digging through a list of 500 things that you can craft and trying to pick the thing to track next, um, like that? Those two things go totally hand in hand, and not interrupting that experience is the reason that all these things are there. Uh, and, and I also want to kind of like I want to kind of mention: there's this this tendency that that we all have. To do this thing where we go, if I can blank, then why can't I also blank? Um, and there's this kind of slippery slope that happens in game design, where as soon as you start down a particular path of offering convenience functions to a player, then it just seems natural to extend that convenience just a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, So, Sam, like you're talking about, if we did make an item that you, when you slapped it, it allowed you to look into your infinity suit and see what your inventory was, then the obvious question is, well, if I, if I can look at my inventory with this, why can't I just look at my inventory all the time? Um, and then once you can look at your inventory, the question is, well, if I can look at my inventory while I'm out in the world, why can't I change the recipe that I'm tracking? And then the question is, if I can see all my recipes while I'm out in the world, why do I have to go back to my base to craft stuff? Why can't I just... Craft while I'm out here running around out in the world, right? Um, and it just keeps going on and on and on, and all of a sudden you have a completely different game than what you started with that feels totally
2: different. And well, and that's the most important point in the end, right? Is that the experience of playing Crashlands would be literally just a different thing. It would feel completely different in that sort of end case scenario than it, than it currently does, and than it was intended to feel. And that, that's that's the end result of starting to go down those paths is you end up with literally different things and that's not even to say that that thing is worse we per, we personally think in this case that it is which is why we don't want to do it mm-hmm. well, um, it's just it's just not person. part of the intended experience
1: yeah so yeah absolutely yeah and and yeah it, it just makes a different game so and i do appreciate the and i think I think I speak for all of us when I say you know I I appreciate the hell out of people jumping in and being like, I fucking love this game. I have some suggestions for improvements. Um, Like I appreciate that people are that excited about it um, and that they feel so strongly about the game that they also want to, you know, contribute their ideas and talk about it and all that stuff. Um, but But at the same time, you know, most players actually have a hard time truly understanding why they love the game. And a lot of times the suggestions that people offer up would actually make them enjoy the game a lot less. Uh, And I think this is one of those. So, yeah. Uh, All right. Well, we got time for one more question. And this question comes from Gafferman. Gafferman says, in Crashlands, what was the most fun to write? The dialogue or the flavor text slash descriptions of items? Did you approach them differently?
2: Well, the last part of the question is easy because Seth wrote – the flavor text. <laughs> we approached them, them very the differently. Dialogue. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Sam wrote the Different dialogue. Did I wrote. Them. Yeah, Sam wrote the dialogue. I wrote the tooltips, and Adam edited and revised the dialogue. Uh, so I'm gonna personally say I feel like I had way more fun than Sam did. I'm gonna guarantee you did. <laughs> uh, but that's not because it's because each flavor text item was just a standalone opportunity for me to make a stupid joke. And yeah. the dialogue had to actually make sense and <laughs> teach also, the player did- things and walk through different game concepts and tell yeah, a good all story. Of the, all of
0: the, the flavor text creation was also all done slowly over the course of the entire two years. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the entire story was written in about three months. And that it was, was all, that was all you impossible. were doing at that time. Yeah. just writing. <laughs> so.
1: and, well, and it's not just it's not just writing a story. It's also sort of like programming. You need to design characters, uh, come up with their personalities, figure out where they're going to go in the world, design their villages, their houses, um, put quests together that have different stages that cause things to happen in the world. Like it's not just uh, dialogue. Like there's a whole bunch of other stuff sort of packed yeah. into it. And the worst part is if you if you fuck up the dialogue and make it say the wrong thing, then it doesn't matter how well you programmed everything else because people won't know what to do.
0: Yeah, right? so I did that a lot. Uh, so <laughs> I, think, I, I guess Seth was a more carefree. I had no consequence.
1: Yes, yes. Like if I yeah. if I screw up a tooltip, it doesn't even matter. Like,
0: But I, I did, I mean, I loved actually writing the story, and I especially loved after Adam did his uh, sort of editing pass on it because he went through and rewrote a bunch of stuff. And so I was actually both, I'd forgotten what I'd written because there's so much crap in there, Uh, and then also Adam had changed a bunch of it. And so I would come across stuff that was completely new, uh, either because I have amnesia or because Adam rewrote it (laughs) either way. It was fantastic. So I was like, I come across something new and be like, Oh, this is hilarious. You know? So I still had a really good time writing. It wasn't, it wasn't a drudgery by any stretch. I just think that the, uh, the carefree nature of, of tooltips and, uh, we need to figure out how to make an entirely tooltip based game in the future.
1: Mm, Interesting. Yeah. That'll be. That'll be much more uh, – much less tedious to put together, I'm sure. Fact. So. All right, everybody. Uh, that's all the time we have for this week on Coffee with Butterscotch. So thank you all for listening. And once again, if you if you want to get your questions into next week's podcast, go over to podcast.bscotch.net and ask away. You can also upvote other people's questions to help sort of guide the future of, of what questions we answer. We also have a great community over at forums.bscotch.net. So come on over there and say hello. And you can also join our Crashlands community at reddit.com slash r slash Crashlands. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next week.
0: Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.